Good morning, Lincoln Avenue. Man, it's great to see you guys here today, uh, everybody together. What a blessing. Uh, turn in your Bibles to 2 Samuel chapter 11. We're going to continue in our series in the life of David. 2 Samuel chapter 11. We're actually going to be reading the entire chapter today. 2 Samuel 11. This is the word of the Lord. In the spring of the year, the time when kings go out to battle, David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, and they ravaged the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But David remained at Jerusalem. It happened late one afternoon when David arose from his couch and was walking on the roof of the king's house that he saw from the roof a woman bathing. And the woman was very beautiful. And David sent and inquired about the woman. And one, and one said, Is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? So David sent messengers and took her, and she came to him, and he lay with her, as she had been purifying herself from her uncleanness. And then she returned to her house, and the woman conceived and she sent and told him, I am pregnant. So David sent word to Joab, send me Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sent Uriah to David. And when Uriah came to him, David asked how Joab was doing and how the people were doing and how the war was going. And then David said to Uriah, go down to your house and wash your feet. And Uriah went out of the king's house and there followed him a present from the king. But Uriah slept at the door of the king's house with all the servants of his lord and did not go down to his house. And when they told David Uriah did not go down to his house, David said to Uriah, Have you not come from a long journey? Why did you not go down to your house? Uriah said to David, The ark and Israel and Judah dwell in booze, and my lord Joab and the servants of my lord are camping in the open field. Shall I then go to my house to eat and drink and to lie with my wife? As you live and as your soul lives, I will not do this thing. Then David said to Uriah, Remain here today also and tomorrow, and I will send you back. So Uriah remained in Jerusalem that day and the next, and David invited him, and he ate in his presence and drank so that he made him drunk. And in the evening he went out to lie on his couch with the servants of his Lord, but he did not go down to his house. In the morning David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it by the hand of Uriah. In the letter he wrote, Set Uriah in the forefront of the hardest fighting, and then draw back from him, that he may be struck down and die. And as Joab was besieging the city, he assigned Uriah to the place where he knew that there were valiant men. And the men of the city came and fought with Joab. And some of the servants of David among the people fell. Uriah the Hittite also died. Then Joab sent and told David all the news about the fighting. And he instructed the messenger, When you finish telling all the news about the fighting to the king, then if the, ang if the king's anger arises, and if he says to you, Why did you go so near the city to fight? Did you not know that they would shoot from the wall? Who killed Abimelech with the, the son of J uh, Jerupasheth? Did not a woman cast an upper millstone on him from the wall so that he died at Thebes? Why did you go so near the wall? Then you shall say, Your servant Uriah the Hittite is dead also. So the messenger went and came and told David all that Joab had sent to tell. The messenger said to David, The men gained an advantage over us and came out against us in the field, but we drove them back to the entrance of the gate. Then the archers shot at your servants from the wall, and some of the king's servants are dead, and your servant Uriah the Hittite is dead also. David said to the messenger, Thus you shall say to Joab, Do not let this matter trouble you, for the sword of ours now one and now another. Strengthen your attack against the city and overthrow it and encourage him. When the wife of Uriah heard that Uriah, her husband, was dead, she lamented over her husband. And when the morning was over, David sent and brought her to his house. She became his wife and bore him a son. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. 
Father, we ask for your help this morning as we look at your word. Father, we believe it to be true. We believe it to be for us. God, we believe that you have recorded this and have instructed us in it. And we ask, God, that you would reveal your truth to us. Father, help us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. David's a pretty uh, interesting and unique character in the scriptures. I, I, I uh, got in my Bible program this morning and just um, punched in David. And I think he's, he's listed like 5,000, over 5,000 times in the Old and the New Testament. Uh, I counted the New Testament references because some of them were multiple in each verses. And I think I counted 62 times in the New Testament. So the, the New Testament is referring back to David. And so he's an incredibly significant guy in the scriptures in Acts chapter 13. Uh, verse 22, it gives one of the greatest compliments that you could ever receive from the scriptures. It says, when, David had re- when he had removed him, he raised up David to be their king, to whom he testified and said, I have found in David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart who will do all my will. That's God speaking of David. This is a guy after God's own heart. So far in this series, we've seen these incredible stories of, of faith and of courage and of passion for God. We started with David and Goliath where, where David, it burns him up that God is being dishonored in any way. And he, he's Israel's champion. He represents Christ going out to fight for the people of God. <clears throat> We've seen all kinds of stories of Christ-like mercy and grace and faith with Saul and with Nabal and other stories. Um, last week, Mephibosheth. I'm telling you, there's not a better story in the Bible than Mephibosheth, isn't there? I mean, just what an incredible story of grace and a, and a, a picture of Jesus Christ and of God the Father seeking out those to show grace to. So you have these incredible pillars of, of just really great stuff in David's life. Now, we know he's human. He got mad at Nabal. He lost his temper, but he responded well, right? When he was confronted with the truth, he turned around. He got depressed. He went to live with the Philistines, but he came out of that. You know, the, the word of the Lord came to him, and he, again, he responded. And so, so basically what we've seen thus far has been pretty positive. But man, today is the most disappointing chapter in the Bible about David. If you're looking for heroes, by the way, Jesus is your guy, okay? You hear that? Jesus is your guy. Okay, Everybody else is going to disappoint you, okay? I mean, just get that in your head. Everybody else is going to disappoint you. Even a guy like David, who's a man of God's own heart, who has these valiant, courageous, incredible, you know, acts of, of, of spirit-empowered, valiant truth. I mean, he's going to disappoint you. And, and everybody will disappoint you but Jesus, okay? So if you're looking for a hero, Jesus is your guy. Now, in many ways, David... He points to the king of kings. He points to Jesus. Uh, His real claim to fame is that God's going to raise up from him the king of kings, Jesus Christ. But he, he falls short in the hero department. And mainly because of this chapter today. Today, King David reminds us of the weakness of our sinful flesh. Um, you know what I'm thankful for today? I'm thankful that my whole life is not written down like David's. <laughs> you know, aren't you? I mean, how, how would it... How would it be if, you know, Sunday school classes all across, you know, the, the, the world today would open up their book and say, well, let's talk about the time when, you know, Sharon Clem lost her, her temper with the kids, you know. What can we learn from this today, you know? 
should you call your son that name? Yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know what Sharon's done. I'm just making up, you know. But, I mean, how would you like that, you know? I mean, your, your worst moment in your entire life. And, I mean, it's, I mean man, I, I'm just thankful that my life's not written down like that, you know. Uh, I'm also thankful, believe it or not, that I've not been a king. Uh, you, I don't know if you feel the same way about that. I think some people want to be a king. But I, I'm only thankful that I've not been a king. I'm thankful that I've never lived in a situation where I have complete power and control and authority over everybody in my life. Man, I, I'm just telling you, I just know my own heart. I know my own desires. I know, I know that many times I don't want the right thing. And there's a lot of times I'm just wrong. And, man, I'm just glad that I don't have the authority to carry out everything that's in my heart. Okay? So there, there's a lot of things I think we should, as we look at David, we should be thankful that we don't have his position here today. Now, what I want to do is I want to give you some big picture items from this chapter. I think this is the best way to do this. Big picture items, and then we're going to jump into the actual text, and we're going to look at a couple points. Okay? So big picture items, first of all, number one, <clears throat> while it is true that believers have the Spirit of God. Okay, I'm talking about born-again believers here this morning. Uh, that may be you. It may not be you. I'm talking about people who have been joined to Jesus, who, who, who are indwelt with the Spirit of God. While, while it is true that, that we have all those spiritual advantages, what is also true of us today is that our sinful flesh has not yet been eradicated. Okay, that's coming. That's coming someday. But what's true of us today is that we, we still have that sinful flesh within us. And because of that, you are capable of terrible things, okay? We need to know that today. You're capable of terrible things, all right? Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. I really believe there's going to be some pushback. Here's what I would like to do. I would like for all the small group leaders, just kind of put this in your head. I want you to, I want you to ask this question tonight. Did you agree with Pastor Jason that we all are capable of terrible things? Because my experience with people is there's pushback to that. There's a lot of folks that are like, you know what, I would never do that. I would never do that. I would never, you know, and I think it is true that it's unlikely that I'm, I'm, I'm going to fall in certain ways, right? Uh, here's what's true of me. I'm probably never going to lose our house in Las Vegas, okay? Uh, that, that's probably not something I will ever do. Number one, I've never been a gamer. I don't like video games. I don't like, I don't like anything like that. I don't like, I'm too cheap to gamble. It kills me to lose a dollar, you know? And, and so I, I just, it's just, I've been to Vegas on mission trips. I've walked through almost every casino in that place, uh, scouting it out for a mission trip. I was not tempted one time to, to drop anything anyway. So I'm just probably never going to do that, all right? But that doesn't mean that I'm not capable of terrible things, other terrible things. And that doesn't mean that you're not capable of terrible things. I, I believe why one of the reasons we have this passage in our scripture today is to scare the sin out of us. All right. I, I think you have this here. You've got a guy named David who, who when you open the Psalms, this guy loved God. This guy is passionate about God. This guy is, is full of spirit of God. And this guy did a terrible thing. <coughs> I've never committed adultery on my, my sweet Emma. I've never murdered anybody. I've never taken, physically taken a life. And I think you'll be encouraged this morning that as your pastor, I don't plan on doing either of those things, okay, ever. That's encouraging, isn't it? But I, what's also true is that I don't trust my heart. 
I mean, I, what's also true is that I, I think from looking at the scriptures, I respect what the Bible says about my heart. I respect what the Bible says about the deceitfulness of the devil. I respect what the Bible says about the sinfulness of flesh, about the difficulty of temptations. We ought to respect those things, and we ought to live with this awareness that we're capable of terrible things. We ought to live with the awareness that, you know, well, there's a lot of things I've never even faced. You know, I can stand up here and put my nose down on David and, and on others who've done, done terrible things in my mind. But here's the reality. There's a lot of situations that I have never faced. I, again, let's go back to the king thing. Praise God that none of us have ever been king. All right? Now, I know some of you pretty well, and I know how mad you've gotten, okay? I've been the guy that had to come in, you know, dodging the bullets, all right? You know, and say, hey, let's calm down a little bit, please, you know? I mean, I've been that guy for some of you, and man, I am glad when you've been that way that you weren't king, okay? Because there'd be a river of blood, all right? I mean, for real. I mean, I'm glad that we, we don't have that kind of power to have whatever we want whenever we want. And I know that we are capable of terrible things. And that's why, we need to, that's why we need to relentlessly, relentlessly fall on the grace of Jesus. That's why we need to wake up every day humbly saying, man, I need you, God. I need the word. I need to pray. I need to be in fellowship. I, I'm not, I can't stray away. I can't pull back. I can't be one of those people who says, well, I don't really need that. I don't really need the people of God. I don't really need preaching. I don't really need prayer. I can go without it. Man, I'm telling you, you're capable of terrible things in your flesh. And left to yourself, you will mess it up. That's what we learn about David. Now, that's all bad news. Let me give you a little bit of good news. Okay, There's not a whole lot in this sermon, actually. Sorry. <coughs> Last week was all good. <coughs> Here's the good news. While in the flesh we're capable of terrible things, in the spirit... Isn't this good? In the Spirit, we are capable of marvelous things, right? Amen? In the Spirit of God, we are capable of Christ-exalting works of grace. In the Spirit, we, when we depend on the Spirit and yield to the Spirit and soak our minds in the Word of God, we are capable of great godly feats. In Jesus, we are capable of persevering all the way to the end and of resisting temptation over and over and over. We have that. That, that power is within us as we yield to and look to the Spirit of God. In Christ, we are capable of faithfulness on a level that will stun the world. Okay, so that's the good news, all right? In our flesh, we're capable of terrible things. In the Spirit and yield the Spirit, we are capable of incredibly great things. But you can't do it yourself. All right, number two, big picture item. There are seasons of life where we seem to be more susceptible to sin... And probably most likely those are due to a slow downgrade, okay? A gradual decline in our spiritual lives that maybe we did not even realize. You know, when you, when you, when you read through the, the books of First and Second Samuel, it, it almost seems like this thing hits you like a Mack truck. Like, where did it come from, you know? I mean, two chapters ago, David was, was saying, hey, is there still anybody in the house of Saul that I might show God's chesed, God's loving kindness to? I mean, you have this great stellar passage, and then all of a sudden, chapter 11 comes, and it's just like you got run over. Like, where did that come from? Well, you know what? It actually happened a lot gradually, more gradual than that. Okay, let, let, let me read you an, an instruction about kings in the Bible, okay? So you will go way back in your Bible, back to Moses, Deuteronomy 17, and here's what he says about Israel ever having a king, 
Okay, I'll begin, I'm going to begin reading in, in Deuteronomy 17, 16. Only he must not acquire many horses for himself or cause the people to return to Egypt in order to acquire many horses. Since the Lord has said to you, you shall never return that way again. Verse 17, and he shall not acquire many wives. Hear that? He shall not acquire many wives for himself, lest his heart turn away, nor shall he acquire for himself excessive gold and silver. Now, now I think David did okay on the gold and silver and the horses thing, as far as we know. But 2 Samuel chapter 5, verse uh, 13, listen to this. And David took more concubines and wives from Jerusalem after he came from Hebron. So after he establishes the kingdom, after there's peace, after he's reigning, what happens? This little verse here, David gets more wives. David gets more concubines and more sons are, 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 are born to David. Well, just a little verse in, in chapter 5, okay? But here's what I would say to you. That little verse represents a slow chink in David's armor. David, David let down in one point in his life. David, David, David compromised and there's a slow erosion of David's spiritual vitality. And that's where it begins, Okay? This thing doesn't come out of nowhere. It begins here. It begins with David compromising on the word of God. David not living out the word of God. And while there doesn't seem to be any consequences right away, the consequences are coming. I asked Avery yesterday, my daughter, my 11-year-old, I said, Avery, what do you think of the passage of, of, of David and Bathsheba? I said, what do you think the main point is? And she said, well, Dad, it's adultery. And I was like, well, yeah, okay, got it. Uh, she said, uh, and then she said this. She thought a second. She goes, Dad, you know what? David gets this great gift in a wife, Abigail, and then he goes and ruins it. You know, that's, that's right. You know, that's right. That happens back in chapter five. Why? Why? David multiplying. Why? This, this allowing this other sin into David's life, indulging his sinful desires, led to this downgrade in his spiritual life that eventually leaves him in chapter 11 doing horrible, terrible things. You know, it's interesting to me. And we'll probably deal with this more next week when we look at Nathan's rebuke of David. But, but what's interesting to me is that indulging sinful desires does not decrease your sinful desire. Does that make sense? So you have a, you have a sinful desire, and, and you would think that the more you indulge it, the, the, the more you would decrease in your desire, right? I mean, it works that way with ice cream probably, I mean, initially, Right. You know, I mean, you, you, you want ice cream, you know, you shouldn't have ice cream, you're on a diet, I shouldn't eat it, you know, and, and then you eat it, and you go ahead and get the big one, because if you're going to do it, you might as well do it, right? You get the big blizzard, and you get done, and you're like, oh, I don't want any more, right? <sighs> Why did I do that, right? And, until like two days later, and then it's kind of back again, but initially, there's this decrease, right? Man, that, that is not the way it works with, with sinful desire, all right? So, so here's David, because if, if it did... The guy's got eight wives and all these concubines. You would think he's bulletproof for adultery, right? Wouldn't that make sense? I mean, eight, eight beautiful, gorgeous wives, you know, beauty pageant wives, and then all these concubines. You would think if there's ever a guy that was, was, was immune to adultery, it would be David. But it doesn't work that way. You see, the more you compromise, the more you, you give yourself to sinful desire, the more sinful desire is inflamed inside of you. Okay? So, so sexual relationship, okay? God's plan is one man, one woman for life. Okay? Now, all sinful desire basically says, man, there's more satisfaction if you go outside of God's plan. Right? God's plan, one woman, one man, one for life, in, in the covenant marriage relationship. 
okay? But sinful desire says, oh, but before you're married, it's fine. That, that, that's okay. Fornication is okay. In fact, there's great satisfaction in that. And adultery, great satisfaction. Pornography, homosexuality, all those are rooted in this lie that, that something is better than God's plan. And, and the more you give yourself to that, the more you go outside of the parameters of what God has, has given, the not, you're not satisfied more. No, no, no. No, it, it increases your desire. It works kind of like fire. You know, we start lots of campfires. Uh, we go camping a lot. And, and, and what's true about a campfire, at least in our experience, is, is that when you first start the fire, almost anything will, go, will take it out, you know? I mean, I mean, you work and work to get that thing going, you know, and, and you've got a little blaze going, and you turn around to go get, you know, the s'mores or the hot dogs. You come back, it's out, you know? And we've got to get Emma over. Emma's our dragon breath lady. She has good breath, but that's just what we call it. She can get down there and blows on it, you know. Okay, but, 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 but almost anything will take it out. Now, now, once a fire has been going a long time, man, there was one time we were in the Great Smoky Mountains, and, and we usually don't have a lot. We don't buy a lot of firewood, but there was a family next to us. They were leaving. They gave us all their wood. And Great Smokies, are, are, they're not as cold as Colorado, so we stay up later. And so we had had a fire for hours. You know, we'd been chunking these big pieces of wood on there, and, you know, from like 6 o'clock in the evening all the way to 10, 11 o'clock at night before we went to bed. So we go to bed, and I go do what I always do. And I take, uh, we had a big pail of water. I went down to the, to the deal, got some water, came back, dumped it all over the fire, moved the fire all apart, spread it all over and everything. You know, dumped some more water on it, went back in my tent. I woke up an hour later to a glow. You know, it was like it was just this big glow. I could see it outside the tent. I mean, the flames were like this high, you know. I mean, you, you about could not extinguish the thing. Sin's the same way. That's the way it was with David. He fanned those flames of sinful desire. He kept multiplying wives. He kept putting another log on the fire. He kept going outside of God's plan. And, and what happened at some point, at some point, man, all the water in the world couldn't extinguish this guy's desire. I think it happens that way with us. Pornography. The first, the, the first look, okay, the first glance, the first inappropriate glance at, at something you shouldn't look at. Man, if, if handled well, I mean, if, if turned away from right then, if, if, if radically turn to Jesus and give that sin to him and call your accountability partner and, 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 and get prayed over, man, you, you probably can pull away from that without much trouble. But the more you look, and the more you go back again and again and again, at some point it will take buckets and buckets and buckets of the Word of God and a prayer and accountability to keep that fire down. The first inappropriate touch, the first flirtatious conversation, if handled rightly, immediately, immediately, it can be put out. But if that goes on week after week after week, at some point you're going to create a blaze that will be incredibly difficult to stop. Some of my most heartbreaking times as a pastor have been when I, I did not see that coming. In other words, that was going on in somebody's life for a long time. And by the time it came out and I got in the game, it's, it's too late. I mean, anything's possible with God, obviously. But, I mean, their, their heart was so far from God and their affection so messed up and they'd gone so far. It was almost like the, they were immune to the Word of God. Little sparks of sin 
turn into forest fires that scorch your life, folks, if you don't handle it immediately. We need to realize today, we are not immune to the chipping away of our spiritual life. Let me ask you, could that, could that happen to you? Middle-agers. David's probably 50 at this time in his life. You, you know what I've noticed about, about people in our, I guess I'm 42, so I'm in there too, here it comes. But our kind of age group, you know, there's, there's a lot of pulling away. You know, it seems like when you're in your 20s as a believer, there's a lot of jumping in. You know, there's a lot of, man, let me take on that ministry. Let me take on that, you know, I'll help with the youth. I'll help with the kids. I'll be in the nursery. I'll, I'll want accountability partner. I'll go to that Bible study. And it seems like that not always, not everybody, there's obvious exceptions to this. Hopefully we're all an exception to this. But, but, but what I've seen a lot is there's a lot of pulling away. There's a lot of, you know, we're, we're not going to do that anymore. We're going to get some rest. We're going we're gonna to pull away which is fine, except when you realize that I'm capable of what? Terrible things. My, my, heart, my heart is still sinful. I bet there are people here today who would say, you know what? 15 years ago, I was a lot closer to the Lord than I am right now. That's a scary thing. That's a frightening thing to say that. You know what we're banking on? We're banking on that nothing will hit us, nothing will hit us that will have too terrible of a consequence. That's really what we're banking on. You know, we're, we're just banking on, you know what, I, I can pull back, I can throttle back, and, and, and just prayerfully, nothing will come at me too devastatingly. That's a huge gamble to make. And David got on the wrong side of that gamble. Number three, and I'm about to hurry here. I won't do much with this one, but let me just say it. <clears throat> Big picture, there are certain defining moments that come when you least expect them that shape the rest of your lives. If you come back next week, not here, but to our four services, you're, you're going to see that this one incident shaped the rest of David's life. Okay? There was not a day that would go by that David did not suffer from what happened this spring afternoon. Okay? And, and, and what makes me very aware the, this morning is just thinking about, are there, are there seasons in our lives like that? Are, are there moments, could there be, could there be moments in our lives that, that man, they're going to affect the rest of your life? Decisions. Isn't that huge? That's huge for me. Finally, last big picture thing. The appropriate response to David's sin and I'm not saying any of you would do this, but I just felt like i got to say it, okay? The appropriate response to David's sin should not be, hey, you know what, David sinned, so I guess, you know, he made it through. He's okay, right? If you at all take seriously the word of God and the consequences of David's sin, both upon himself and his family and his friends and his country, you will fear. And, and, and this passage will make you flee sin. I mean, to have the attitude that, that looks for an excuse to sin. That's a scary thing, my friends. To take, to take Scripture and look for a loophole that justifies your sin is a frightening evidence of what's in your heart. 
That, that's, not, that was, that's not what's in David's heart. I mean, man, when you look at the Psalms and they're in an inspired word of God, David loves God. He longs to please God. He longs to serve God. But at some point in his success, at some point when it all came together for him and all of a sudden he's in power and he's, he's wealthy and, and, and he's got everything he needs, at some point there, even though he loves God, his heart is for God, but at some point he throttles back, he makes some compromises in his life. And that puts him in a condition that makes him easy pickings for the devil. All right, let's look at the text. So those are the big picture things. Now let's look at the text. Let's start in verse 1. I think we see something really, really helpful here. In the spring of the year, the time when kings go out to battle, David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, and they ravaged the Ammonites and the besieged Rabbah, but David remained at Jerusalem. Why tell us all that? Why, why, why does that matter? You could, you could leave that out and tell the story, couldn't you not? I mean, couldn't the story just start with, and one spring day, David was on his roof and went out? I mean, you, you could have that. that, that why, why, why would that not be fine? That, you, could, you could start the story that way. Why do we need to know that? We need to know that, I believe, because that is, is directly telling us that David's lack of mission set him up for this fall in his life. I mean, who is David? David is the warrior king. Acts 13, 36 says, For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. David had a purpose in God's economy. God had a particular mission for David. First Chronicles 28, 3, when David wants to build the, the temple, a house for God, God tells him, no, it's not going to be you, it's going to be your son. You know why? Because you're a man of war. That's what I've called you to be, David. I mean, that that was David's mission. David's mission was to be the champion of Israel. It all started on that battlefield when he goes out and fights for Israel against Goliath. That sets a tone for the rest of what God would have him do would be to subdue the enemies of God, to subdue the enemies of Israel, to punish the rebellious and the idolatrous nations, and to bring about this great kingdom. David was a warrior king. So why is David not at war? That, that's the question that verse 1 begs us to answer. Okay, go, go back and look at it. What, what does verse 1 tell us? Springtime's the time for battle. Kings go out to war in the springtime. David is a king. David's not going to war. And we see the contrast there? David, David's mission is on the battlefield. But David's not going to battle. David is staying home. Now, now why exactly is David staying home? I, I guess we don't know that, but we, we could ask, what's he doing? You know, is he, is, he, is he neck deep in diplomacy? Is he meeting with foreign dignitaries, legislation, social relief programs? What's he doing? All we've got, what the, what the Spirit of God has chosen to give us here today, David's not doing his mission. What is he doing? What's he doing? He's napping. He's napping. The all-American Sunday afternoon sport. That's what David's doing. He's napping in the afternoon. But you know what? When you're not on mission for God, it's hard to even nap. You know, you lay down, but then you, you get up. You're a little restless. I can't sleep anymore. I had a full night's rest last night, and I, I've been napping already. And, and, and so he's napping. I mean, those are interesting details, aren't they? i got to be honest. It scares me a little bit when, t- people, when people say, I need a break. Now, it, it doesn't scare me at all when they're saying, man, I, we've got all this other stuff in our lives, and we just need to... You know, pull back a little bit and focus on, you know, raising our kids and, 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 and being spiritual people. That, that excites me a lot. But what does scare me a little bit is when people say, you know what, I'm going to pull back from God's mission so that I can nap. 
it, it just it's not always bad. It's not always bad. It's not always, don't, 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 don't gripe about me in your small group, you know. I, I don't mean you can't ever have rest. That's not, don't, don't take what I say wrong, okay. Uh, but, but here's what scares me. When we're not on mission for God, we're not on our best. God created us for mission. God sends the Spirit of God to live in us. Acts 1-8, for mission. I mean, we're built for that. And David is not on mission for God, and it directly opens up, not only in his heart, but circumstantially for his great fall. Now, you, you know what's a cool contrast to this? Is Uriah. Okay, now we're not there in the story yet, but, but you know, Uriah is, is Bathsheba's husband who David tries to bring back so that he can go sleep with his wife so his sin can be covered up. And then later on, he's got he's to kill him off, basically, because Uriah, Uriah won't do it. Okay, so here's what's interesting about Uriah. Uriah is, is directly the opposite of David, okay? I, I mean, who is this guy, first of all? Well, he's one of David's mighty men, okay? He's one of, the, one of the men that really brings David into power. He's a warrior. He's got a beautiful wife. He hadn't seen her for weeks, maybe months. I don't know how long, how long they've been out there. He, he has the same natural desires as David. But when David calls him off the front lines and tells him, go home and see your family, he sleeps at the front door of the castle. He sleeps at the front door of David's house. Why? Look at verse 11. Here's why. Here's why he doesn't go home. Okay, it's not, you know what, Bathsheba's such a nag, I don't want to go home there. You know, the kids are, they're out of control, they've got Legos all over the floor, I just don't want to deal with that mess. That's not why he goes, he doesn't go home, okay? Look at verse 11. Here's why Uriah does not go to his house. Uriah said to David, the ark, what's the ark? That's the presence of God, okay, in the chest, all right? The ark and Israel and Judah. They dwell in tents. They're living in tents right now on the battlefield. And my Lord Joab and the servants of my Lord are camping in the open field. Shall I then go to my house to eat and drink and lie with my wife? As you live and as your soul lives, I will not do this thing. Man, Uriah's got a calling on his life. He's got a mission. Here's the interesting thing. Uriah's mission gives him incredible self-control. All right? He won't even indulge appropriate desires. Why? Because he's so passionate about the mission to which God has called him. He's so caught up in this thing that God has for him to do in serving God and, and, and loving God and, and working for God and being God's guy. Man, how opposite is that from David? Remember when David first brought in the ark? Remember? That's the whole dancing naked thing that everybody likes, you know? We skipped that passage, you know? I was just afraid of how you guys would apply that. That's why we didn't look at it. <clears throat> but, you know, when he brings in the ark to Jerusalem, man, he is just overjoyed, full of just incredible the presence of God coming here. Now the ark's out in the battle where he's supposed to be, his position, he's back in Jerusalem. Verse 2, it happened one late afternoon when David arose from his couch and was walking on the roof of the king's house that he saw, he saw from the roof a woman bathing and the woman was very beautiful. All right, I think the key word in that, that verse is saw, okay? Your eyes are your first defense against sin. Here, here's some verses. Job 31.1. I've made a covenant with my eyes. How then can I gaze at a young virgin? Matthew 5.29. If you're right, I cause you to sin. Tear it out and throw it away. Luke 11.34. Your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is full of light. But when it's bad, your body is full of darkness. 1 John 2.16. For all that's in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride and possessions is not from the Father, but it's from the world. I mean, our, our eyes are the access point to our mind and to our heart. 
That's how we access things, right? When, when, when I'm when last year standing on a 14er with my son and just on the top of the world, you know what we did up there? We didn't play frisbee, nothing like that. You know what we did? We just looked. You know, we just looked over and over and over and over. And I just sat and I would look and I couldn't get enough of it. I mean, the glory of, of that, that, that landscape at 14,000 feet, just soaking it in, stirred up my soul and it captivated my mind. But there's other things we can look at that indeed will stir us and captivate us. But not toward righteousness, not toward godliness, but toward sin. There's a whole lot of stuff that we're just better off not seeing, isn't there? If you're on a tight budget, some of you know what, what that's like. Listen, you don't need to drive slowly past the new sports car at the dealership every day. You just don't need to do that. You don't need to look. You don't need to Google it and see all the different colors and models. That's not good for you. It's not good for you to access your mind and your heart with something that God has already said. This is not God's, this is not my plan for you. In the same way, if you're a believer and you're married, there's only one person you need to look at in a romantic way. If you're a believer and you're single, again, you've got to be careful at whom you look and how you look, especially when the looking stirs up desires that cannot be fulfilled apart from sin. But David looked. It's interesting that the same guy that looked writes this. Sometimes you preach it, but you don't, you don't live it. Psalm 119, 36, incline my heart to your testimonies and not to selfish gain. Turn my eyes from looking at worthless things and give me life in your ways. The man of God is not the guy who doesn't get tempted. The man of God is the guy who deals with temptation immediately and decisively. You know, we learn from James chapter 1 that temptation is just, it just feeds off of our desires. We all have desires, and those desires aren't bad. But it's just like fishing, you know? Fish have, have desires for minnows and worms and shad and crawdads, and, right? We know that. And because we know that, we tempt them. That's what we do. We tempt them. We fashion something that looks like their desire, but it's not. It's got a hook in it. It's going to drag you to their death. That's the, way that's the way it works with us, right? The devil knows we have desires, and so he fashions things that, that look like they're going to satisfy, but they've got a hook in them. And so, so temptation just works off of our desire. And the key thing is that, that we've got to deal with those temptations immediately and decisively and with the Word of God. Romans 8.13, favorite verse of mine. It says that you've you got to put to death your sinful desires. So if you live according to the flesh, you'll die. That, that's, that's, that's David right there. But if, you, if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body... You'll live. Put it to death. Okay, so David sees this thing. He has a desire for it. The desire itself is probably not bad. I mean, he just, he, he, it's not God's plan. And so instead of dealing with it immediately and decisively, this next part is where, where he really messes up. Verse 3, and David sent and inquired about the woman. And he, here's the most practical thing, folks. You, you, that's where the battle's won and lost, right there, between, between verse 2 and 3, okay? You, you see it, you see something, you, you're tempted in some way, and you know it's wrong, and you know it, it's against God's Word, okay? It's what happens right then. And, and right then means right then, immediately. What do you do? What does David do? He says, I need to know more about that. 
Okay, now he's not in full-fledged sin yet. What's he doing? You know what he's doing? He's creating momentum the wrong direction. He sent and he acquired. I'd like to know more about that lady. Hey, 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 servant, come here. That lady that lives right down there in that house? I, tell me more about it. Go, send some, go find out more about that lady. Go find more about her. Why, why David? Why? That, that step right there creates this rapid progression toward sin. Now, had David acted quickly the other way? Man, here's how it should have gone. You know, he's looking, he's watching. Ho, 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 You know, man, hey, hey, servant. Go, go to that lady's house. I mean, this has been the cool thing if you're a king. Go to that lady's house and staple some clothes on her, all right, you know? And, and, and build a wall right there so that I don't ever see that again, you know? Nathan, get Nathan the prophet. Send him up here, you know? Man, Nathan, you got to pray for me here. I tell you what, buddy, you know, I, I, I mean, if he'd have dealt decisively, but he didn't. You know what he, you know what he let happen? He let that engine that sinful engine began to roll. I had the great opportunity to go mountain biking in the mountains this week just for a couple days. A couple guys went, went and, and man, I'll tell you what, the first five miles, I was cursing Randall Gabriel for why, why did he bring me here? You can't ride your bike up something like this. You know, you push your bike. This is hiking, carrying a bicycle. That doesn't make any sense, Randall. But then we, we topped at 10,500 feet and then it was Glory. Okay, then it's not a bicycle, it's a motorcycle, right? <laughs> That's what it is. And, and here's what I learned quickly in those little trails, zigzagging, okay? You, you let off on those brakes, you create momentum, all right? Quickly, quickly. I mean, you don't have to let off very, very far. I mean, you, you just, you, momentum, and you're rolling faster and faster and faster and faster. And, and here's a good lesson. The faster you go, the harder it is to stop. I'd love to tell a story about Randall right now, but anyway, nah, I'm not going to. Uh, harder it is to stop. It's true. And sometimes stopping hurts bad. <laughs> David created momentum. And it's right there in your lives. It's right there that you've you got to act decisively, church. You, you can't let that go. You, you ever done that with anger? What happens? You get offended, right? Someone offends you. Someone says something. And at first, you're hit. Okay, man, I seem to handle this rightly. I seem to handle this as Jesus would. And you turn the other cheek. What happens when you, when you go the other way? Oh, I can't believe they said. Can you believe that? You go find someone to talk about it with. What happens? <laughs> Momentum, right? Faster, 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 faster. You know what I've done many times to, to my sinful discredit? I've, I've done that, being angry with my wife. I'm sorry, Emma. And, and, and I've, I've let that go, and I've been going fast. And I've said to myself foolishly, I'm not going to say anything. I, I know I shouldn't, so I'm not going to. But I'm, I'm going to let the momentum go in my head. 100% of the times, you know what happens? I say something. I can't stop. I'm going too fast. Maybe I don't say it, but I, I acted. I I. I I in some way try to hurt her. You're not bigger than your sin. Jesus says you're not. You've got, you got, you got to kill it. Romans 13, 14. Great verse. Great verse. Romans 13, 14. Here's what it says. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh. Don't give it anything. To gratify itself. Don't feed it. Don't feed your flesh. That's what David did. He fed it. Man, I tell you what, Joseph is a great contrast to David in this section. 
What does Joseph do? Man, Potiphar's wife propositions him. What's he do? He runs. He runs. He deals immediately. I'm, I'm out. I'm out. I'm out. Verse 4. And David took her. He saw. He sent. He inquired. He took her. What should David do now? Well, David should repent and confess and attempt to make things right. Proverbs 28, 13 says, The one who conceals a sin will not prosper. But David doesn't do that. All right, so, so once you sin, again, quickly. Speed is, is the key here, folks. You've you got to act quickly, okay? The quicker you repent, the quicker you confess, the quicker you make things right, the quicker you obey, the better it is. But the longer you leave it. I wonder if, there's, if there are people here today who you're, you're in this spot. You've already blown it. And now, and now what are you doing? What are you doing? Are you, are you waiting for some reason to get things right? Are, are, you, are you justifying? Man, you can justify anything, can't you? You're saying, not this. Oh, you can. Can't you justify chapter 11? Let me show you. I've got great experience with this, doing marriage counseling. This is actually not even that, that, this is not even that hard. I've seen better ones than this, okay? Let me justify this to you. Man, can you believe Uriah? What, what a horrible husband. I mean, he's gone for months from his family. He comes home. He stays out with his buddies all night. He gets drunk the second night. He does not even come home. Poor Bathsheba. I wish she had a man that was attentive. I wish she had a man that would, would love her better. This guy didn't even come home. He's gone for a month. Right? See? Huh? It's pretty easy, isn't it? Huh? You're all like, yeah, poor Bathsheba. David's just trying to be romantic. He's just trying to be that guy in the romance novel. David should have quickly repented, but he doesn't. Verse 5, I'm pregnant. Again, what should David do? Man, buddy, you've got to repent. You've got to confess your sin. You've got you to make things right. You've got to obey God. He doesn't. More time. It's, it's going bad quick. And now, now his job is get Uriah either into the picture or out of the picture. And he can't do either. You know, you know David's big problem here? Is that David thinks his big problem is Uriah. Uriah is not his problem. Man, he's spending all his energy trying to get Uriah dealt with. Uriah is not his problem. You know what his problem is? Verse 27, but the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. You know what your problem is today? If you've sinned, your problem is not trying to get your kids okay. Your problem is not trying to smooth things out and justify it. Your problem is not trying to to hide the expense report. Your problem is not your boss. None of that's your problem. Your problem today is you got to deal with God. That's your problem. And the quicker you get it dealt with, the less the consequences, the less the brutal they'll be. Man, next week if you come back, the consequences of David's sin, losing the joys of fellowship, I mean just losing joy completely, internal misery, immeasurable harm to others. People die over this thing. Consequences in his family. David will never, ever, ever, ever have the family that he wanted because of chapter 11. Brutal things will happen. Now, you'll see next week, he's forgiven. Man, the longer you stay in sin, 
the more misery will come. So, let's wrap up. What should we do? We should know we're fragile. Man, I, I need the Word of God. Jason Dirks, me right here, I've I got, I got to be a man of prayer. I've got to, I've got to have brothers around me. I've got, to, I've, got to, I've got to have people praying for me. I, I need the Scriptures. I need it. I need it. I need it. I can't get far from it. I'm not, I don't want to be stupid enough to think that I'm the exception. I'm not. I'm capable of terrible things. But in Christ, I'm capable of incredible things. I need to stick close to him. Number two, flee temptation quickly. Man, when, when, when it hits you and it's going to hit you, you're going to have those desires, you've got to deal with it immediately. Kill it. Kill it. Be brutal with it. Do whatever it takes. Run. Number three, if you've already fallen into it, deal with it quickly. Quickly. Come to God. Maybe that's this morning. You just need to come to him and say, God, I've sinned. I've sinned. You're right completely. There's no justification. I have sinned against you. I'm not going to try to hide it. That's just going to bring more ruin. I'm not going to try to spin it. That's just going to bring more ruin. I'm not, I'm not going to try to cover it. That's foolish because people aren't my problem. God, my relationship with you, is, is, that's, that's the deal. So, God, I, I need to get that right with you today. Let's pray. God, help us. Father, we, we pray for your grace to be poured out in our lives. God, we know that we are fragile creatures. We know that our flesh is weak, Lord. It, it, is, it is prone to sin. Father, we're, we're, we're in desperate need of your constant power and help and grace in our lives. And so, Lord, help us to stay close to you. Help us not to be foolish enough to think that we can pull away. God, forgive us when we, when we compromise in small areas, thinking that it's going to be okay, it's fine. Father, forgive us. Lord, bring about a quick, a quick responsiveness to your word, a quick repentance. Father, we need that and we ask for that in Jesus' name.